The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you on behalf of IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest on NDE Radio today is Chase Schuyler DeMeo. Chase is a U.S. Air Force veteran who died on April 1st, 2008, but was sent back, he says, to spread light, love, joy, and laughter in the world. Chase was born in Orlando, Florida, and raised alongside his six adopted siblings by his grandparents, where he discovered very young what love, acceptance, and family meant, no matter what anyone looked like, felt like, or where they were from. Injured early in survival training in the Air Force, Chase became a public affairs journalist where he had the opportunity to share his stories with active duty military and supporters. And after a near-death experience through cardiac arrest in 2008, while he was stationed at Langley Air Force Base, Chase kept his near-death experience private in fear of judgment and retribution for 12 years until last fall. Since being medically retired from the Air Force in 2008, Chase has worked in television, radio, sports entertainment, comedy writing, and also performing at theme parks and national events. In October 2020, Chase attended a veteran's mental health retreat, which reopened his near-death experiences and created a newfound passion to help fellow veterans and their supporters. Chase has worked recently with two previous guests of NDE Radio concerned with veteran healing, Lilia Samoilo and Diane Corcoran, to help educate veterans, especially those who have experienced NDEs. Chase hopes to continue that message, help heal others, and allow them, as Chase puts it, to chase the light. To keep in touch with Chase, visit chaseschuyler.com. Chase, welcome to NDE Radio. Lee, it's an absolute honor. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's wonderful to, to have you. And also, uh, besides talking about your, your NDE, I, I want to um, continue with uh, hearing more about your work with the veterans. So uh, why don't we start with the 2008 experience, what, what led into it and, uh, and what you saw? Absolutely. Um, so 2008, I was already, I would say, um, halfway out of my, my time in the Air Force. I was uh, a career, and at that time in my head, I was going to be a career lifer, as they would say, in the Air Force. Um, since seventh grade, I knew I was going to be in the military, you know, 20 years. I was going to be a hero, you know, all of that good stuff. Um, so stayed on the up and up, stayed away from drugs, stayed out of trouble, and, um, you know, joined the Air Force to be a, a SEER instructor, which is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. During my time in training there, I had a, I would say, a minor knee injury. Um, they performed a knee surgery that was that was kind of a, just a, a routine knee surgery, and unfortunately, the knee surgery didn't go exactly as planned. So during that time, they gave me an opportunity to kind of pick another career, which is um, very fortunate that I got to become a, a journalist in the, in the Air Force. Through that, um, you know, went through physical therapy, kind of went through those, you know, um, you know, kind of through the routine to see how my knee was going to recover. And unfortunately, it just seemed like my knee wasn't going to get any better unless they did, you know, a total knee replacement. And at the time, I was 19 years old. So, you know, I knew my time was, was coming to an end soon. 
Um, and sure enough, uh, at 19 years old, you start to turn bitter and you start to get angry and go, wait a minute, I was going to be in the Air Force my whole life. You know, mm. I, this was this was my calling, you know. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't take my last few months in the Air Force too seriously. So I uh, I started waking up late and, and going, well, what is, what is the Air Force going to do, right? If I show up a few minutes late, you know, what's, what's, what's the worst that's going to happen to me? So sure enough, uh, you know, I hit the snooze button a couple of times on April 1st and uh, decided, hey, I'm going to just going to slowly mosey into to the office. And uh, for anybody listening who's in the military, they're probably laughing because I'm using, you know, the Air Force terms like office instead of instead of what the Army or Marines or, or Navy might use for terms. But um, next thing I knew, I was uh, getting out of bed and um, I woke up a significant time later at the uh, Langley Air Force Base Hospital. I had uh, been found on the floor. My, my supervisor at the time had thought she was going to catch me being late. And, uh, you know, they have an, a key to your dorm room, and she had found me on the floor. So, Oh, yeah, that was lucky. Yeah, it was absolutely lucky. And, and so, you know, they, they had me there on the, you know, in the one of the makeshift kind of rooms there on Langley Air Force Base. And they're running tests, and, you know, the nurse is doing her, you know, her, her routine of, you know, checking my vitals and, Doctor comes in and says, you know, we're, we can't really find anything wrong. It might have just been a fainting spell, but obviously we want to check and see if you hit your head on the fall. We want to just check, your, you know, your chest and just kind of see what's going on before we send you home. But it didn't really make too much sense. You know, I blood work came, obviously came back fine right away. So next thing I know, the nurse kind of heads out before then. She's, you know, kind of fiddling with my IV. She says, we're going to go get a mobile chest X-ray and I'll be right back. As she's walking out of, you know, kind of my my area uh, at the end of the hallway, everything starts to go, you know, blurry. Everything starts to, you know, uh, kind of slow down in time. Really, it's something like something you would see in a movie or a TV show. Things just really started to, to slow down and get kind of uh, fading. Before I knew it, the nurse started kind of, you know, the, the female nurse comes essentially running into my room, you know, as, as an alarm starts sounding. And, uh, before I know it, uh, it seemed like the room filled very quickly with nurses and doctors all kind of essentially sprinting into the room, you know, at the end of the hallway. And you can see the kind of the confusion or terror on their face, you know, and for me, it just, you know, my, my vision was, blurry but but also i could i could picture their you know the, the look on their faces i could picture uh, you know the the fear in their eyes you know and the confusion uh you know as the monitor kind of beeps to the left of my my, my face mm. at that time um a gentleman was to the left of me and starts stroking my arm um while he's stroking my arm i start to get goosebumps right and it's the most calming soothing sensation i get up my arm and uh, I guess euphoria would be not a good enough term, but the best term I could come up with at the time. When I tried to look over to him, because, of course, still, you know, I'm a 19-year-old kid and some guy is stroking my arm, right? So I want to know who he is. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I start to look over and, and he kind of, you know, stops my chin from looking over and just says, relax, calm down. Just this really soothing voice is just trying to call me. And of course, as I say that now, I go, how is this, how could I crystal clear hear this voice while alarms are sounding, people are arguing and they're looking at me, um, you know, and I look back up at the nurse's eyes and the doctor's eyes and I'm, 
I'm feeling what they're feeling. I'm feeling their hearts beating. I'm, I'm essentially watching them watch me die. Right. Mm. And, um, you know, that's, that's obviously a, in hindsight, I, I, I kind of realized what I was watching. Right. Um, and so I feel that, you know, the face, you know, the, the, I, sh- I should say the arm kind of stroked my arm. Um, and he says, uh, the man to the left of me says, you're going to feel air travel up your vein and it's going to hurt really bad for a while, but they're trying to save you. And sure enough, right as he mm-hmm. says that, I feel a pain that I can still feel today if I want to feel it, if that makes sense. I feel almost like a silver bullet uh, kind of traveling up my, my left arm, you know, up, up my vein um, directly to, towards my heart, you know, and almost in slow motion, an excruciating pain. And as I start to feel that pain, I look over to the left of me and I try to look at this man's face and really I just see the monitor and the monitor at that time just went completely flat. Wow. So, so this was an, this was an air bubble that they'd introduced into your, uh, blood vessels. That's exactly right. Um, unfortunately, and, and, you know, this would be towards the end of the story, so I don't want to digress too much. Um, those files are, are missing April 1st and April 2nd are missing from my records. However, there are references. And, and so there is factual evidence that this did happen, but we'll never know exactly how or why it happened. And, um, I should say that I don't place blame on anybody. This is obviously was supposed to happen this way. Um, but what specifically happened, I still don't know to this day. Mm. Um, I did watch my, my monitor go completely flat and there was no fear, um, what happened next was the most beautiful, most blissful experience, the most incredible feeling of light. The best way I could describe it to somebody who hasn't felt that feeling is like a bucket of ice pouring through your heart um, and traveling up. You know, it's it's hard to describe the light that that kind of carries your body as you go up through it. Um, what I would describe as a tunnel, but for me, it felt like angels and fairies kind of created a vortex if you will as i was trying to as my body was kind of being lifted up out of the sky right um there was no sky there was no ceiling there was no roof it just felt like my body was being lifted through um you know people kind of swirling around me and uh, just uh, i get chills and goosebumps whenever i can i can really try to even comprehend that feeling that i had that day mm. uh, you know the sound of a million wind chimes and, and, and bells and, and, and laughter. And, you know, if you could bottle up a, uh, the pure laughter of a baby, it would be kind of the feeling I had. Um, and I think everybody kind of can resonate with that feeling, right? Everybody can kind of say, Oh yeah. You know, that, that would just when a baby laughs is like the best feeling in the world. And Absolutely. that's kind of how, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so my body, my body kind of travels up this, like I said, almost like a wind tunnel of, of like, uh, I didn't see angels' faces. I just felt like there were wings kind of twirling around me, you know, and spinning me upwards, kind of um, like propulsion towards, towards the sky. Um, before I know it, you know, I am just looking around left and right and just enjoying every ounce of this, you know. And I come upon, before I know it, I, I don't know if I landed there per se or, or the next moment of this, but I, I realize that I'm standing in a garden. Um, and to call it a garden isn't fair because it's, 
you know, it had dirt, it had grass, it had flowers, but it was filled with colors and, and flowers and plants and things that I don't think we have on this earth that I've at least never seen. You know, I've not traveled the world completely, but um, just filled with just the most vibrant colors uh, imaginable. Mm. Um, but I could feel the dirt, you know, on my feet. And, and so I knew that I was in a, in, a, in a garden with a path and I saw um, a man, you know, up ahead of me in a robe. And I saw a little boy, golden hair, you know, kind of running ahead, cheeky little boy. <laughs> and <laughs> and I say that laughing because, you know, the, the, the little kid, if you can imagine a, a little kid at, at a playground, you know, running away from his parents, you know, trying to get into trouble, um, you know, and the parents knowing full well that they could catch the kid and, you know, the kid trying to run away. Um, yes. And I didn't feel like I walked closer i just felt like i wanted to be closer and so i was does that make sense to you yes it does yeah and so i so i i got closer and um you know i, I see the relationship between the the, the man and in this robe and and the little boy and the little boy is kind of you know looking back you know laughing and, and running away and the man kind of just pats the kid and 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 looks back and when the man turns around and looks at me it just hit me like a jolt of Again, while I'm already feeling blissful and happy and, and all this love in my heart, it hit me like another jolt of kind of that ice feeling, that ice cold feeling. And it felt like I was face to face with Jesus at that time. Hmm. Now, um, who do you suppose the little boy was? Was it like an angel? Well, or? it's interesting you say that, right? Um I knew at that time, now the man that I that turned around and looked at me had short, thick, curly hair, green eyes, big smile. It was nothing like what I grew up seeing Jesus portrayed as, I would say. But for whatever reason at that time, I knew the man that turned around and looked at me was Jesus, right? So, you know, my my upbringing as a, you know, in in the Catholic Church, obviously have a certain depiction, you know, when, when you learn of what, you know, kind of um, what he looked like, right? And so it, it didn't look like that, but he didn't look like that, I should say, out of respect. But I knew, okay, this man is Jesus, right? And when I see yes. the little boy again, it dawns on me that the little boy is me. And I don't picture myself at that time. I, I certainly, whenever I look back at myself, I don't picture myself as having golden curly hair, but I did have actually golden curly hair up until I was about four years old. And then at, for whatever reason, at some point, by the time I was five years old, I've had this dark, you know, thick, thick, dark brown hair um, ever since. You know, so if you look at my baby photos all the way until, you know, pretty much kindergarten, I had, you know, my, my parents proudly gave me a, a 90s mullet, <laughs> uh, a curly blonde uh, mullet. And, um, you know, it just kind of sank in that I was watching myself as a little boy kind of run through this garden, just, just laughing and giggling. And, and, and I didn't know what it meant at the time. Obviously I just, I appreciated me watching myself and the best way that I've described it to, to, you know, my, my wife, you know, when we first met and I explained, you know, I shared this beautiful story with her was almost like Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol. Right. I, I think a lot of people have seen that. Um, when you're watching, you know, when, when uh, Scrooge goes and watches, you know, the Christmas, uh, you know, with the 
the ghost of Christmas past, right? And he gets to go watch himself and in a former life, you know, and, and see, you know, other things that he's done, you know, in the past, I guess I would say. So in that moment, I'm watching just this pure version of myself, you know, just happiness and laughter and playing and, and running through this garden. Um, and before I knew it, I, 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 I don't know how much time passed for all I know, I could have been there for a week or I could have been there for seconds. I just, there was, there was no concept of time, even though everything felt like regular time. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. So uh, so this man, again, who I felt was Jesus, turns to me and says, uh, you have to go back now. And I didn't argue, and I it just felt like that was kind of what we already agreed upon. So there was no conversation of me going, oh, do I have to, you know, or are you sure, you know, do I really have to go back? It was just kind of a, a nod of like, of course, you know, I, I, I know I have to. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I want you to remember that you have to spread, spread light, love, laughter, and joy. And when he, you know, for me, what stood out out of all of that, you know, obviously love and, and light and joy is, is, what makes the world go around and laughter to me is what resonated the most because again i i think my time in that garden uh watching you know my my four-year-old self run and laugh and giggle and and the laughter i heard as i was traveling through this tunnel i I just feel like pure laughter that you can share with somebody a loved one or a stranger is uh, to me one of the best feelings you can have so before i knew it um, so the 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 Four-year-old you, which was the embodiment of all of the things Jesus told you you had to come back to Earth to share, was a way of sort of uh, embodying that as a as an example to you, or to show you that it's there inside you. It's absolutely that's that's such a great way to put it, Lee, because um, you know it's something that I continue to think about um, more and more of. You know, I, I, I'll try to meditate and, and try to put myself back in that garden. And I that, that feeling I get again and I can – nothing will ever go back to that same feeling. You know, at least at least I haven't had that same feeling in 12 years. But if I can even get 1% of the goosebumps and chill and, and feeling of that moment, um, it reminds me that that little boy was just the happiest little boy Growing from ear to ear, being cheeky, you know, being a little bit naughty, you know, but in a fun way and – and just trying to to make everybody else laugh and, and just enjoying the moment, you know, of running through this beautiful place. Um, so you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It was it was a, a great lesson of this is this is this is what everybody should be like, right? Yes. And everybody has that capacity because we were all that age at one time. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Carefree. Not a lot of stress in the world, right? Besides, uh, what what type of jelly you're going to put in your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, when you realized you had to come back, what what happened then? Yeah, it was you know it was um, it because I like I said it, it felt like it was already predetermined, like it was it was just known that I was going to come back, and so it wasn't a fast travel back to my body. It was almost like. A blink of an eye, it just felt like just a lot of weight, almost if you had a weighted blanket on your body or, you know, just something really heavy. And I, I start to slowly open my eyes and, you know, you, if you've ever had the best dream in your, in your life, you know, you open up your eyes 
in the morning and you immediately close them and go, no, 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 just another minute, please. Just, yes. <laughs> just give me another minute of that dream. It never works. Right? It never, ever works. Sadly, no. <laughs> it doesn't. So I, uh, I I open my eyes and close them, open my eyes and close them. And, and once my eyes, you know, my vision gets a little bit better and I, I feel this heaviness again of, of being back in my body, I realize I am in a completely different room than, than what I was in. And you're trying to process, obviously, okay, I saw myself flatline, right? And now I'm in a different room. I'm pretty sure I just had this incredible interaction in heaven, you know, and, and so you're trying to figure it out. And, and then what was the most obvious was as the nurses, you know, I, I, I would assume, you know, obviously a few minutes later, a nurse walks in, she's not wearing a uniform, a military uniform. Mm. And it turns out I am not only no longer on the military base, I am in a completely different city. And um, she comes in, you know, she says, the vials are good. How are you feeling? You know, there's a little bit of confusion on her face, you know, and I, and I feel her confusion, you know, if that, if that like almost like a magnet, I, I can feel that she's confused that she's talking to me. And I'm, I'm like, I feel, I feel good. I'm a little bit tired. And I'm talking a little pretty matter of fact, like when can I get out of here? She says, you know, the doc, you're not going to go anywhere. The doctor's going to come talk to you. The doctor comes in, you know, a, a while later. And are you sure you're feeling good? And I said, I'm feeling good. And he goes, well, your, your vitals are fine. So we can send you back to the Air Force Base. And, you know, it's kind of up to them what they want to do with you. And I said, great, get me out of here. Uh, they said, uh, yeah. you, you know, do you have anybody that wants to pick you up? And I said, yeah, I'll have a friend pick me up. And, and uh, instead, of course, of Having my friend take me back to the Air Force Base, I decided to go to Chick-fil-A, and we left town for a couple of days. <laughs> I said, so do you have any idea how long you were? I mean, they had time to take you out of one hospital, fly yeah. you somewhere else. I imagine it was a helicopter. And yeah. uh, how many hours were you were you out of it? Here's the thing. So I, you know, this was in 2008. So Facebook had been out for a couple of years. And, and of course, I'm at that age where I have to share everything detail of my life at that time on social media. So uh, once my friend picked me up and we went back to the base, I got my cell phone and um, I put on Facebook. Um, I said, uh, just died, flatlined, uh, LOL. You know, I thought it was, I thought it was funny, you know, and because I didn't know, you know, I told my friends, Hey, you know, I, I just died. Can we go, you know, pick up some, some food? And, and uh, we went, drove up to Washington DC, which was like, I think three and a half hours away. But when I posted it, I didn't even realize that it was April 2nd, um, you know, late in the evening. So to answer your question, they found me first thing in the morning, April 1st. And when I was discharged from the hospital um, in Hampton, Virginia, that was April 2nd around 5 p.m. So there was obviously a huge gap in between um, at least a day and a half had, had gone by um, from my you know, my first memory of waking up to waking up again in the hospital. Wow. Wow. Well, did you tell anyone uh, your story at first? I mean, what you'd seen? No. And that's, that's the most important thing, Lee. I think um, obviously why I'm sharing my story now is, is I, I knew, or I, I, I thought I should say at that time that if I shared that story with anybody in the air force, that, um, that they that they would think I was crazy. That they were either think I was crazy, that I was lying, that I was making it up, that they'd put me on medication, they'd kick me out. There was such a fear of what would people think, um, whether it was 
for attention or what have you, um, that I kept it a complete secret. Now I, I did go again, like I said, and, and put it online. Hey, I died, you know, and, and tried to make a joke out of it. Like I do <laughs> everything, but, um, there was, there was a true concern of nobody's going to believe me. So I might as well keep this to myself. Um, and that's the biggest shame, um, of the last 12 years is I've, I have shared my story with, with loved ones and close friends, but, um, to have to, to have to feel that I had to keep this a secret for so long is exactly why I'm, I'm honored to be able to share this story with you for the first time. Um, you know, it's just a shame that it took 12 years. Well, it's a shame that, uh, especially the military, I mean, this is true uh, perhaps under any career circumstance, but especially the military where people do die, I mean, in, in battle and and uh, all sorts of situations. It's a, it's a stressful life. The, it can be the military that that they are so um, uh, punished career-wise if mm-hmm. they ever admit to having a near-death experience. Uh, it's uh, you know you're suddenly looked upon as being crazy somehow, and uh, and it really does. And so people that don't talk about the what they saw while they were dead are really just protecting themselves in their career. That's exactly right. And I think, um, you know, there's obviously such a big learning curve. The the work that you're doing and so many other people, um, especially, you know, Diane and Lilia, um, there's, you know, such a, there's been so much education and so much hard work that has been done already, you know, obviously educating people on near-death experiences. Um, I think it's so important for veterans, um, active duty, especially, you know, people in the healthcare field, um, and, and even therapists to know um, not only is, is a near-death experience real, um, but, you know, if, if they have their, you know, their hesitations on it, the fact, if they just had said to somebody, let's say if I had come out and said, um, you know, the following week or even, you know, the, the following days and said, this is, this was my experience. And somebody had said, I hear you, I validate your experience and here's some, you know, here's some resources that you can go to to find, you know, um, maybe some people that have gone through similar things that probably would have changed everything for me at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, having to feel like I needed to keep this a secret for so long, you know, now I'm kind of going back and connecting the dots of how that might have affected me, you know, the, all these years. Um, so it is a shame for me. But if I could even connect, obviously, a, you know, one veteran or or somebody um, who's maybe married to a veteran or has, you know, a, a loved one that, that served in the military um, and just say, hey, you know, I know that you had a really tough time while you're in the military. Did, did an experience like this happen to you? I'm willing to bet that somebody might pour out in tears and, and say, absolutely, yes. I didn't know that this was even a thing. Um, and it could open up their, their whole world of, of being able to start healing or understanding maybe who they've become. Um, because right. I certainly didn't know. I didn't know the term near-death experience until years and years later. I just thought, you know, this is just my experience, and I got to keep it to myself. Mm. Well, I and certainly and Lilia and Diane have been working on this for some time. Have you encountered any vets that have shared their NDEs with you? I'm actually, I, I, uh, I haven't, I have actually. Um, so I am now joining the IAN's military supporter group. Thanks to uh, talking to Diane and Lilia and finding them. I, I found them. So I, I know, I know we're, um, we're kind of close on time, but I, I do want to share how this kind of came up real quick. I went on a 
Um, uh, like you mentioned in the, at the start of the podcast, I went on a retreat um, for mental health with the Wounded Warrior Project. And when I came back, they assign you. It's a five-day retreat. It's a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful uh, thing called Project Odyssey. When I came back, I got assigned a therapist to talk to me, um, and I was very fortunate. And now, you know, now especially, I realize that everything certainly happens for a reason. Um, so my therapist named Angela, she's doing her intake questions, asking about, you know, my past and family upbringing, you know, my military service. And she puts down her pencil and says, did you have a near-death experience? Uh-huh. And in that instantly, I burst into tears. Oh. Just, just overwhelmed. Nobody in my entire life. I, I, I have shared my story with with loved ones, but nobody has ever asked me personally if I've had a near death experience, mm-hmm. and that is what kind of catapulted, um, you know, this this me needing to to share obviously my story with everybody. Um, it turns out I, I did ask her um, what made you ask me, and and her husband had a near death experience. So, um, uh. just the fact that she was willing to ask me that is what, what brought me here today. And, um, and I can only imagine if other therapists ask military, you know, people, um, you know, how, is this something that you experience? I just, again, I, I can't imagine how much that could help people. So, Oh, exactly. Uh, and even yeah. for non-military, if the, if doctors and nurses and, and everyone involved in the medical profession were open Absolutely. to the idea, chaplains, I mean, I was a chaplain for 15 years, and I heard hundreds of near-death experience stories from from people. But many chaplains would re- almost refuse to to acknowledge the fact that these things happen happen to patients all the time. And, now, are the wounded is the wo- wounded warrior project um, generally open to? Um, I mean, do they see this as a as a something they should be involved in the near-death experience uh, experiences? That's an amazing question that I will, uh, I'm going to uh, take this amazing podcast that, that you produced and I'm going to, uh, to hopefully um, share this with their ears and, and see what type of conversation that this can start. So, um, you know, the, the VA obviously is, is you know, there to, to serve veterans and, and obviously active duty military, um, but these veteran service organizations like Wounded Warrior Project, Disabled American Veterans, American Legion, these are organizations that are built to help veterans as soon as they transition out of active duty. And most of the time, these are obviously wounded veterans. So veterans that have a service-connected disability, um, which means that a lot of time they have faced some sort of either combat or obviously have gotten injured somehow. Um, mm. So educating them, I think, is paramount. And like you said, obviously, not just this isn't obviously just for for veterans or military, um, anybody, I think, I think if the more education that's out there and the more stories that people are able to share, um, you know, I, I just think that, that the world for near death experiences are just going to get so much easier, you know, that, yes. that acceptance and understanding. Well, you know, I think a lot of people too would get behind, uh, financially get behind the support of organizations like wounded warrior project. If they knew, I mean, the, this country alone has probably millions of people. It's been mm-hmm. it's been estimated who have had near death experiences, and they understand the frustration of yeah. of not being able to talk about it or being treated like you're crazy if they do talk about it. If they knew, for instance, that Wounded Warrior Project or any of the other veterans organizations were actively 
working to uh, develop an understanding and a comprehension and a and a and a sympathetic rec- you know receipt of of, the, of <laughs> stories like this. Uh, supportive. They've got to be supportive and not and not mm-hmm. just rejected out of hand. I mean, talk about a source of PTSD. You know, to, to be put down and have your career ruined because you were honest about something you saw on the other side is a tragedy. So I think uh, if you would be open to it, I would love um, to take this podcast, obviously, um, and share it with those organizations. And, you know, if, if one of them is willing to embrace this, I would love to uh, to hopefully update you on a, on a future podcast and, and hopefully maybe um, see how we can connect the dots and, and see how that conversation has evolved you know hopefully months down the road with you um, that would be that'd be excellent uh, that would be uh i'm so glad that you're taking this on chase this is this is tremendous and Thank you so much. Uh, and uh i mean you you could probably spend a lifetime just try trying to get uh, this kind of understanding throughout the medical community but the veterans it's especially important for veterans uh, absolutely and, uh, anyway well, thank you. I, as you said, we are out of time. And, uh, uh, but um, tell, uh, tell listeners how they might get in touch with you. And especially, there may be um, listeners out there who are vets who had an NDE and would like to talk to you about it. So how can they reach you? Absolutely. So um, I'm actually going to put a lot of links up on my website along with the story that I shared today. So it's Chase, C-H-A-S-E, Skyler, S-K-Y-L-A-R.com. When you go to my website right there on the homepage, uh, you'll be able to click on near-death experiences, and I'm going to have a bunch of links um, for specifically for veterans, as well as links to IANs, um, how you can contact Diane, how you can contact Lilia, um, obviously links to this podcast, and then the veterans organizations for, um, you know, babies, you know the, uh, the veterans sharing experiences group. So um, just Terrific. a really easy way, obviously, because there's a lot of links there. So if you just go to my website, Chase Scholar, I'm not selling anything. I genuinely want to help people just like you're doing, Lee. And um, it's just so important that uh, that you come forward and, and feel comfortable. Um, nobody's going to think you're crazy. This is, uh, this is real. Um, your story and your feelings are valid. Um, and if you, uh, if you got goosebumps or you felt like my story resonated with you, please come forward and feel comfortable. Chase, thanks so much. Thank you uh, for sharing your, your story, uh, the story of your NDE and how it changed the direction of your life uh, to work with other veterans. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, uh, it's a pleasure. And we'll have you back as soon as as soon as you uh, would like to give us an update on, on the work you're doing. Looking forward to it. All right. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our nearly 400 past shows, go to NDE Radio and hit the past shows button. For more about IANS, go to their website at iands.org. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>